Good afternoon. Final bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. Well, we've got a market that saw really some some struggles in the corn market today while the beans and the wheat continue to push to the upside. It was, of course, mixed on the livestock side as well. I had a producer say it's just like a groundhog day when it comes to these livestock as of late. We'll look more into that in a bit, but a lot of weather talk today. And don't forget, we've got the virtual wheat tour that's underway in Kansas. A little different than what we've seen in the past. We're going to dive all into this with Arlen Suderman of FC Stone. So let's start out with this corn. Boy, they kind of took it in the shorts today in the sense of everybody else went higher but them. Yeah, and I think a little bit of perspective here. First of all, prices of of most of the commodities are near long-term lows. And by long-term, I mean multi-year lows. So we're at that point, and the funds are saying, okay, where do we go from here? We're at the beginning of the growing season. USDA releases this crop report um, this past week, expecting global wheat stocks and global corn stocks to be large, and global soybean stocks to be kind of smaller than the trade expected. And and we can debate, we talked last week about the likelihood of that. But those are the numbers that the funds have to work with. You come into um, then the U.S. numbers, and USDA is generally expecting the U.S. wheat crop to continue to kind of shrink because of some of the freeze and and drought problems we've had, uh, and the corn crop to still be very large, not quite as large as the trade expected, but still be very large with ending stocks at $3.3 billion. You can debate that, but that's what USDA printed, and that's what the funds go off of. So that really makes corn the whipping boy, so to speak, of this market. It's the one that's easiest to beat up on, so to speak, and get away with it. And particularly with ethanol plants across America still shut, largely shut down, they are reopening, um, and so we are seeing some demand cut back, but it's going to take some time. So with the big crop expected based on USDA numbers and demand still hurting, well, corn is the one that gets spread against. So if you're not sure what where the grains are going to go from here on and you're a fund manager, well, how about if we just buy soybeans or buy wheat and spread it against corn? And so that allows you to be involved in the market at a little lower risk level than if you just take an outright position. That's just an example of some of the thinking. And so that's why corn has really been taken to short end of things without a real story and with USDA printing such high numbers. So looking at the soybeans, are we just waiting on some some planting progress information for them? Uh, China, is there some interest coming that we haven't fully seen yet for some more beans from us? Yeah, USDA printed a lower than the trade expected ending stocks number for beans, but traders have been skeptical because they expect soybean acres to go up. But by how many, they don't know and really won't have a better idea until June 30th acreage report comes out from USDA. Soybeans, if you look at the continuation charts, have been trading below the 50-day moving average on the charts, which traders pay attention to, since the 1st of April. They've been bumping up against it a couple times, but have not had the story really to go through it. Firmer, getting the benefit of the corn-soybean um, spread trade, expecting more demand, expecting China to buy a lot more. And that's largely because of something we hinted at last week, that there is this uh, tremendous paranoia in China 
about the world export market. Since they are, in their mind, they are ultimately wiser than the rest of the world, handled coronavirus better than anyone else, and yet it shut their country down to where they had supply shortages, food and, and mostly feed for livestock, um, but also some food shortages, and their ports were totally shut down. And since they handled it better than anyone else, then in their, that logic, it's only a matter of time till ports in the United States and Brazil shut down. They're convinced it's going to happen. So they are hoarding supplies, taking shipment as fast as possible, and that is tightening up bases fast enough in Brazil that once you get purchases for delivery August and beyond, the U.S. starts becoming competitive, uh, offsetting the big currency exchange rate advantage that Brazil has. So China has been buying for August, September, and beyond delivery, and we anticipate they're going to continue to do so. That's normal for them to do that at this time of year, but we expect it to be more aggressive than normal because of that fear factor. They are afraid. There's reports in their news almost daily about potential shortages of food if they don't get enough shipped into the country and build their reserves before the rest of the world shuts down due to coronavirus. Is there, as you, as you look at Brazil, and of course we've heard the rumblings that there's been some concerns at the ports, but then let's throw in the weather as well and the drought conditions. It's it's not a perfect world there either. Well, you're right, and one of the factors at play is the drought that's been across the southern half of Brazil, stretching down into uh, um, Uruguay in far northern Argentina, and that's basically the river basin for the Paraná River, that feeds through the Rosario port and a lot of um, supplies from southern Brazil, Paraguay, and northern Argentina can travel on barges, excuse me, down that river to the major port at Rosario where they're loaded on the ships for export. And um, waters are about half of normal levels or so. They're having to dredge the river just to get barges down to the port uh, to move product down that way. So that is impacting exports there. They are starting to have some rains now. But other than that, periodic outages, but Brazil is shipping record capacity, basically expecting 16 million metric tons of soybeans to go out this month, most of them to China. All right, folks, we'll stick around when we come back. We're going to continue to look at the weather, but we're also going to look at this virtual wheat tour, something a little different for folks. More is coming up. It's the Fontenelle Final Bell right here on the Rural Radio Network. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. We're continuing the conversation this afternoon with Arlen Suderman, and we were talking a little bit about weather. So before we jump into wheat, let's look at the European Union and the Black Sea. What's been happening with their weather? And I understand a little bit of a, a change-up when it comes to uh, information from what they're seeing. Yeah, and the Black Sea region in particular really sets the world price. And uh, because they've become the breadbasket of the world. And when they run low on wheat because of bad weather, then that shifts demand to Europe. And then after Europe, it comes to the United States as far as major northern hemisphere producers. And so we look at the Black Sea. Really, all of Europe and, and well, I should say particularly northwestern two-thirds or so, uh, northeastern two-thirds or so of Europe and the Black Sea region were quite dry earlier this spring. And then, oh, I'd say several weeks ago, we started seeing rain spread across Europe. But 
Rain still remained generally light across Germany and some of the surrounding areas. That's a pretty big uh, producer of wheat there, quality wheat, quality milling wheat as well. Uh, the first rains as they moved on across the Black Sea region kind of, uh, of uh, withered away and didn't produce much. And then we did see some follow-up rains to kind of provide some relief for them. So most areas have had some rain now. The general expectation is that we're still going to be lacking in northeastern Europe. Uh, the Black Sea region, most dry areas have had a shower now, uh, some, a decent rain. Uh, but the pattern kind of dries out again going forward. Uh, the models are a little bit in disagreement about northeastern Europe, and, and they're really just in the uh, stem elongation to early boot stage in many of these critical areas at this time. So we're really moving into the critical time when dryness can negatively impact production. So that's one thing we're keeping an eye on. And while much of Russia and Ukraine has had rains now this week, um, and we're seeing indications that uh, some irreversible damage has been done, and Russia confirmed that with its uh, with the lower production estimate that it released today. You know, and, and the dryness isn't, and the weather concerns aren't just happening in the European Union and the Black Sea region. We're seeing it right here in the states, as we're here in Kansas, for example, in the southwest corner has had some big struggles. Yeah, it's it's really dry in some areas of the plains and some stretching up even into eastern Nebraska uh, where there's some areas that are quite dry and have missed out on some recent showers. So, you know, we had the bad freeze, two actually two freeze events in Kansas uh, that did some damage. But as you talk to producers, it was really compounded by the dryness over much of Kansas, particularly the western two-thirds or half to two-thirds of Kansas, depending on where you're at. And so it's really negatively impacted uh, production in that region. The potential is still there because the high plains, the wheat is, is delayed in maturity somewhat, but the dryness is kind of pushing that along. It's going to be starting to catch up if, if we don't get some rain here real quick. And unfortunately, the next few days may provide our last good opportunity for a good rain and and hopefully we'll be able to get some here over this going into the weekend. As we go over to the livestock side, we have not heard a lot about African swine fever lately. Are you hearing any new upticks in numbers, or has it kind of started to die off? Uh, I wouldn't say dying off. Uh, I would say we're still seeing a significant problem. Uh, every year in China, we hear we're going to be back to normal by next year, and that continues to happen. We heard that in 2018. When it first started, we heard it in 2019 when it really got bad, and we're hearing it in 2020, and so it continues. There are success stories from some commercial firms that have been able to avoid it at a great cost, um, but overall, it continues to be an issue. Um, getting good information out of China is very difficult, even for people within China, um, but the evidence would suggest it's still a big problem. Meat prices are coming down in China and have come down considerably, and it appears to be more related to market dynamics as during the coronavirus outbreak, slaughter plants were shut down, and so animals got very, very heavy. When they reopened, that was brought in. You got this flood of meat from these overweight animals, and the price started to break. Well, then farmers started panicking. They don't have any hedge prices. They started panicking, and so they kept bringing hogs in at lighter and lighter weights 
um, in order to get them um, slaughtered before the price fell further, and that just kept pushing the price down. And based on what we're seeing, we think the price is going to be rebounding going back up as they get to the point where they've slaughtered so many at such a young weight that they just start running from the meat again. All right, Arlen, sounds good. What's the best way for folks to get a hold of you? intlfcstone.com or over on Twitter, you can follow me. My handle is Arlen, A-R-L-A-N-F-F-101. And that is the Fontenelle Final Bell being brought to you by Fontenelle Hybrids and all your local Fontenelle dealers. Just a reminder, commodity futures and options do involve substantial risk of loss, and they're not suitable for all investors. You can pick this up as a podcast at our website, ruralradio.com, or wherever you subscribe for your podcast, and of course, on Spotify as well. It's the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network.